I was just thinking about, as we're singing that Graves in the Garden song there, how, um, and I, I mentioned this, I think, at the end of the service last time, but how you, the, the Word of God in, with the Spirit of God, right? Uh, you have that, both of those operating to bring about life. And that's what we're hoping has happened in this morning, okay? So let's go to the Lord right now and ask for His help. Heavenly Father, we come to you, and we know that apart from you, we can do nothing. We know that um, uh, we need you, Lord, for life transformation. We, uh, some of us are in situations right now, or if not now, we will be, where we are just um, at a loss for what to do. We need wisdom. We need your grace. We need your help. We need rescue. We need healing, whatever the situation might be. And so, Lord, we cry out to you right now, and we ask, Lord, that you would uh, this morning, uh, infuse us with your word and with your spirit and bring about a transformation in our lives that will bring you glory. And Father, we just also want to pray for those in our church family that are sick, that need your uh, healing touch physically. Lord, uh, we, we just ask that you'd visit them in a special way um, and just give them a Holy Spirit hug as well as it's a touch uh, that you would uh, restore whatever it is that is not working right in their bodies. And we also just pray, God, help us to be the hands and feet of Jesus to them as you, you lead, guide, and direct us. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. amen. So we're in the middle of uh, going through the book of Second Peter. And there's a theme in this entire book. And it, it kind of, at, in, in the third chapter, verse 18, it talks about growing in the grace and in the knowledge of our Savior, okay? And that's really what this book is about. It was a letter written to a specific group of believers, and, um, and so that's the theme of the book, is growing in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus. And so... That's what we want to see happen in our lives as we go through this particular study. We want to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus. And out of the gate, out of the gate, if you will, uh, we saw some things in this letter. So if you've not been with us, here's a quick kind of review from, from the very first verse. It, it, he talks about how God's given believers everything they need for life and godliness. It's like you've got the equipment. The Holy Spirit's been given to you, okay? You got the Word of God. You've got everything you need to do whatever it is that God calls you to do. So isn't that encouraging? You've got, you've got what you need. So you've been given the power to live a Christian life and to live the path that God has you on, okay? Um, and then he goes on, as we move through some of the beginning verses of chapter 1, he, by that same power, the power of the Holy Spirit, we are to pursue spiritual growth. It's something that we are supposed to be after, okay? Spiritual growth will not happen by osmosis. You can't take your Bible, slip it under your pillow, and hope to God you'll become more holy. It's, I've tried it. It doesn't happen. It doesn't work, all right? Um, there is a combination of the power of God and our effort. Um, and it seems like that's somewhat contradictory, but it's not. It's complementary. All right, we've learned in this book that we're supposed to make every effort to grow in particular character qualities, and he lists some of these. And um, if you've got your Bible, you've got your device, go ahead and turn to Second Peter if you want, and you can, we can take a look at some of these he mentions. His, um, he says, 
uh, in verse 5, for, the, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement, supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection uh, with love. And, and so he's, just, he's, he's really challenging believers to grow in godliness, all right? I mean, uh, you find lists of character qualities like this all over Scripture uh, in Paul's letters and so on. And so uh, an exhortation to pursue growth in your relationship with God. And so if nothing else, we have been challenged in this letter so far to not sit on our Christian laurels and actually grow, pursue it, okay? So I hope that uh, the Lord's putting a fire under you to say, you know what, maybe I've been coasting, maybe it's been tough and I've been taking a break, but God wants me to, he wants me to pursue him and to pursue growing in godliness. So today in this letter, uh, Peter wrote, we're seeing his purpose. Like, what's the whole reason for wanting to grow in godliness? Uh, other than the fact, you know, it should be enough that God says he commands us to, but he has to give us a reason here, okay? You know, not every time did I ask my, my parents when they told me to do something, did I actually have an answer? It was more like, because I told you so. And actually, that should have been good enough, okay? And sometimes I did get answer reasons, right? And we're getting a reason here today. Uh, the Lord's telling us in this next portion of Scripture, why pursuing godliness is so important, okay? So that's what we're going to focus in on today. Um, if you are comfortable, why don't you stand up, and we re- when we read the Scripture like this together, we stand up in honor of the Word of God. So if you're able to, just go ahead and stand up, and we're going to read this, and let's read it aloud together, okay? As is a, is a habit of what we do many times here. So let's read it. It'll be right up here. Okay, yeah, it is up there. All right. Okay, let's read it together. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge. And knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is God's word. Please have a seat. So it's that verses 8 through 11, verses 8 through 11 that we're talking about, okay? Uh, the one where it starts off and simply says, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, right? He says, if they are, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful. All right, well, what that tells me uh, and should tell you is that knowledge of Jesus becomes either fruitful or unfruitful, Okay? In other words, when Jesus is preached, the Word of God goes out, the Gospel goes forth, um, and people have the information, sometimes it results in bearing fruit, and sometimes it doesn't. Okay? This is exactly what it means when he says, he says, 
they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that knowledge either bears fruit and is effective, or it doesn't bear fruit and is ineffective. It doesn't mean that the Word of God is ineffective. It means there's something with the receiver, okay? Something wrong with us. Something going on with us, okay? So this is what we're challenged with. Um, it reminds me, actually, of the parable of the sower, right? Now, this parable of the sower, if you're not familiar with that, turn with me to Matthew 13. I, I don't have it up here on the screen. Matthew 13, the parable of the sower, as we link this to just the fact that knowledge of Jesus is either fruitful or unfruitful, okay? Matthew 13, verse 10 says, Then the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, <clears throat> well, let me go, I, I, that's not the one I wanted. <laughs> let's go back up before they ask the question. Um, let's see here. Yeah, so go back to verse 1, sorry, 13 verse 1. That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and he sowed some seeds, fell along the path. And the birds came and devoured them, and other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they had withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And so, um, this is a fairly popular parable. A lot of people know about it, whether they went to church or not. Just the sower sowing the seed. Um, we don't really have to wonder... Uh, what the point of the parable is, because Jesus explains it. I love it when the Lord explains it, right? So he goes on in verse 18 of Matthew 13. He explains it. He says, hear then the parable of the sower. Verse 19, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand, and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. Right, so the, I really take this word of the kingdom to be the gospel message. Okay? And so the gospel message is preached, and, and sometimes what happens is the evil one comes and snatches it away, uh, what was sown in their heart. It says, this is, he says, this is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. In other words, there's some kind of... Um, excitement on the person that they're excited about they could be forgiven or whatever it might be. Uh, he says there's this initial joy, yet it has no root in himself, but endures for a while. But when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. So there really wasn't a, uh, there wasn't a root to this. There was an initial response, but it really wasn't a true faith response to the gospel message. Okay. And then he goes on in verse 22, it says, As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world 
and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. Right? So, in this, see, this happened too. Uh, somebody has a, a real positive response to the gospel message uh, of Jesus dying on the cross for their sins. They're excited about it. They're maybe tasting a little bit of the, uh, the community in the church, you know, that God has designed. And they're even maybe experiencing externally some of what the Spirit of God is doing. But then uh, because the, they don't really have the Spirit themselves, when things, the, the life, is, life is going on, uh, you know, worry creeps in. The world uh, just starts to surround them. And it really doesn't take root. Right and bring forth fruit. And then verse, um, the, the last verses there, he says, verse 23, he says, As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed hears, he indeed, he indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another case sixty, in another thirty. And so that last soil was right. It was, it was the, God was preparing the soil for, to receive the seed, and it, and it really took root, and it bore fruit. And so, and so I, I think there's a, a good correlation here between this parable and what Peter's talking about. He's saying, you know, when the word goes out, the knowledge of Jesus is going forth, uh, it can either be unfruitful or fruitful, ineffective or effective. And, and, you know, unless when you fast forward into this letter and you get into chapter 2, you kind of understand why he's making a big deal about behavior, okay? Um, he's, he, he's, he's really emphasizing it a lot, and um, you have to understand he's, he's calling out some people, calling out some false teachers, but he's also teaching them solid uh, biblical godly things about how faith ought to work in your life, okay? So... So as we go back to uh, our place there in 2 Peter, just know this, right? He's telling us if these qualities that were mentioned earlier in the letter, right, that godliness, steadfastness, all that, if those qualities are yours and are increasing, um, it's actually evidence that the knowledge of the Savior has been effective in your life. That makes sense? He's saying, he's saying the knowledge of the Savior has borne fruit in your life if these qualities are yours and are increasing. That's interesting, isn't it? That there's, um, it's somewhat of a subjective benchmark, but he's saying there are these areas that uh, you need to be growing in because in growing in them, it's showing something. Okay? All right. Now, and so that's what we see in verse 8 of our passage today. When you look at verse 9, um, I'll read it for you. It says, for whoever lacks these qualities. Okay. So the first verse says, if you have these qualities and they're increasing, this is, this is what's going to happen, right? It's, it's showing the, the, uh, the fruitfulness or, or ineffectiveness, whichever it is, of the person who has the knowledge of Jesus. But he says, whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind. Uh, my understanding of that phrasing there, of course, uh, you know, nearsighted is you can't see things far away, correct? And, but I think what he's getting at is like, you're not seeing things you should be seeing. 
It's like you're almost closing your eyes. That, that blindness there is not like something that, you know, just that you can't see. It's like you should be seeing this, but you're not. Does that make sense? That's the sense of what he's saying. Uh, he says, whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted, he is so blind, having forgotten. So now we're going to get in what way they're blind. Having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Okay, So... What we learn from this here is that those who treasure what Jesus has done for them, i.e., forgiven me, died on the cross for me, I should have been the one there, really understanding the depth of our depravity and sin, and it's in that place that you get uh, so much an appreciation and love for the Savior as well. I'm not saying that you wallow in how bad you were or, or whatever, but it's just the idea that you recognize from what place he has brought you, okay? That's what we're talking about. So those who treasure what Jesus has done for them pursue a life that's pleasing to God. Because in this verse, he's saying, if you lack these qualities, you're not really in touch with the idea that what Jesus has actually done for you. You're not, you're not remembering it. Maybe you've received it authentically, uh, and maybe you've just kind of forgotten about it. But it's time to uh, reconnect with your first love. Right? Like John the Revelator tells us in Revelation. To one of the letters to the churches, he said, you've forgotten your first love. You've lost your first love. You need to get back to that. Uh, the love for Jesus. So Peter tells us here in this verse the reason why a believer might not be growing. It's because they're not seeing what they should be seeing. Their memory of what Christ has done for them is not all that sharp. They're forgetting what a great debt they've been forgiven. It's almost like if you were a gambler. Uh, you know, there's the, the route that I take home to Grove City always takes me by Siona Downs, okay? I got no problem with the ponies, any of that, but I'm just saying, if you lost a lot of money, and then you were in a great debt to someone. Maybe you borrowed it from somebody. Now you owe them a great debt. I'm talking like $50,000. You know, pick a big number, something that's way out of your bank account. And somebody just went up and paid it for you. This verse would be like, it's like you just went right back to what you were doing. Had no appreciation for what had been done and what you had been brought out of, this great debt. Does that make sense? This is exactly what he's saying. You've forgotten. You've forgotten what the Lord Jesus did for you. you. You've forgotten how far he's brought you. You've forgotten how much you've been forgiven. Every sin, past, present, future, forgiven, right? He cast, he cast that into the depths of the sea. It says as far as the east is from the west, right? That is, that's far. <laughs> it's just, he's just saying there's something wrong. You've got a memory problem. You've got to recapture that first love. You've got to, you've got to you know, he who, has, he who loves much has been forgiven much. That's the idea. Is if I understand just how bad I am, <laughs> you know, it's, when people hear you say that, they kind of think, well, boy, you just have a low self-esteem. No, that's not the issue. The issue is I am a sinner. The issue is I am, uh, in my own nature, the Bible says, totally depraved, incapable Ephesians 2 actually says, I'm dead in my transgressions. Uh, that means not alive, you know, dead. 
Yeah, not alive. So this means I have no, I can't even respond in my own in my own ability to the gospel. God has to bring those bones alive by His Spirit and His Word. That's what He has to do. And when I recognize that's what He's done, when I think about um, you think about maybe your history with God, right, and how He tells us all kinds of things. Uh, about our past, and, and, but you know, I'm kind of getting a little ahead of myself here, but, but I just want you to realize, you know, do you treasure, it's a question, do you treasure what Jesus has done for you? You know, and, and you know, that some people say, well, I'm just not feeling that like I used to, and I understand that. Our feelings come and go for sure. Sometimes I feel like I'm on the top of the mountain spiritually. Other times I feel like, you know, I'm way down in the valley, man. I need a resurrection. You know, it's just that's reality. Uh, and God knows that. But the thing is, is that we need to uh, constantly, and this is what I think people mean when they say, you know, Christians need to continue to preach the gospel to themselves. It's not like we keep getting saved over and over again. It's that we need to remind ourselves all the blessings that come from simply knowing God uh, and through Jesus Christ and what he's all done. We need that. We need, I, I tell you what, man, my memory's getting worse as the days go by. But, but I need to remind myself of these truths that the scriptures tell us. Ephesians, the first three chapters, man, it's nothing but truth and truth and truth about who I am in Christ and what Jesus has done for me, how far he's brought me. As a believer. And so Peter is simply saying, listen, you know, if somebody doesn't have these qualities and is not growing spiritually, it's because they have not really, they've forgotten what Jesus has done. Because what a great motivator. What a great motivator to, for a godly life is to, to, you know, and it's not like you're paying God back because you couldn't do it. <laughs> right? It's just like, the Lord, uh, he did all that for me. God, thank you for saving me. Thank you for doing this. So I want to live my life for you. Not to mention that he has that rightful place in our life. <laughs> you know, he does. He's the Lord of the universe, right? So that's our verse 9. Now the last two verses, uh, the last two verses here, 10 and 11, are quite interesting. Uh, it, says, it says, therefore, brothers... Be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Now that's, that's, that's a little bit of an interesting thought there. What does that mean? We'll get to that. And then in verse 11, he says, For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Some have misinterpreted these two verses to say that, well, I can reach some kind of uh, sinless perfection. Because it, it, it kind of hints at that, like saying that, well, if you, these things are yours, if these qualities are yours, um, you know, you can, uh, if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Okay? Well, that word fall is not talking about sin. That fall, word fall is talking about apostasy. Uh, as someone who's an apostate is someone who falls away from God who never was God's to begin with. Okay. In other words, there, there was some external evidence there. There's maybe a profession of faith, um, some good things happening, maybe. But um, you know, and, and and we're told that also in other letters in the Scripture, 
uh, where uh, the, the, the writer of Scripture at one point says, listen, um, I think it's one of, one of the John letters. Um, don't quote me on this because I'm, 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 I'm flying from the hip right now. All right, I'm shooting from the hip, I should say. So is that, uh, he says, they went out from us because they were not of us. Okay, and, and that wording, he's saying, the people they're talking about weren't really true believers. Okay? And so, in these verses, in verses 10 and 11, he's saying, he, he gives an exhortation, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these things, these qualities, you will never fall. So the last part there, if you practice things, you will never fall. I think he's simply saying, as you grow in these qualities, as you're increasing, like he said before, you're just kind of showing your true colors, who you really are. You're really a believer. So you're not going to be apostate. You're not going to fall away from God. Uh, you know, uh, you may even have a portion, a time of rebellion and come back to him. But he's saying you're not going to fall away. You're not going to be an apostate because you're showing these qualities. It's like, it's like for, he's talking from a human standpoint, okay? From a human standpoint. It's almost like the book of James. Like the book of James was, you know, was give, gave people a lot of trouble some, at some point. Um, they were wondering, like, you know, what is he talking about? Faith without workers is dead. Well, he said a living faith shows something. It has evidence, you know. Uh, and that's, I think, what's, what he's trying to say here, and what he is saying. But what is interesting is the phrasing in the first part of verse 10. He says, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. Let's talk about that for a minute. Um, uh, so, this kind of just brings up, this passage brings up two truths that coexist together that seem that they cannot. <laughs> the fact that God, uh, as he's, as, like for example, if I go to Ephesians 1, I'll just quote this for you, Ephesians 1, 3 to 6, he said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Verse 4, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be blameless holy and blameless before him. Whoa! God chose me to know him before this world was ever created. You know? That's just, you know, that's just all kinds of things that's sort of like, ooh, I don't, that does not compute. Right? Some people have problems with God choosing people because then they think, well, that means he didn't choose other people. Uh, I kind of leave that up to God, okay? Because I know that, I, here, so here's, here's the thing. If you believe the Bible is the Word of God, then you've got to take all these quandaries with it. Meaning, you've got to say, okay, he did choose me, but then also in other places, I'm exhorted to believe. Like I'm called to respond with my own will. You get that? That is a tension. It's a both and. It's not an either or. Okay? Um, it's not an either or. But, but this idea, uh, this truth that he talks about, he says, confirm your calling and election. That, that election that he's talking about is that very same thing that he's talking about in Ephesians 1 and other places, before the foundation of the world. That doctrine should encourage you. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you said, God loved me so much before he even created me, before I was ever in my mother's womb, he chose me to know him, to come into a relationship, even with all the boneheaded things I did while growing up. And I keep thinking about how it's a miracle that I ever got saved. You know, right in the middle of OSU campus there, uh, you know, everybody, I was, it's just, I won't go into it, but it was just bad. It was bad news. You know, and I'm a Buckeye through and through, but uh, 
I, you know, it was, I was either going to, it was either going to go this way or this way. It was decision time in my life, big time. Um, and praise God, he put somebody right there for me. And I'm sure you've got a story too, if you know the Lord, okay? And, and it's just amazing. And so I look back on that, I see all the things that God did. And I have no problems with this choosing thing, <laughs> this election. It's true. It's, I don't have to understand it fully to believe it, okay? And I'm not saying I'm divorcing my brains from my body and that kind of thing, but just saying that there, you know, God is God. He can do anything. And, and, and while totally being fair and sovereign in the process, okay? Um, because my view of, of the human will, scripturally, is just that uh, in a nutshell, because that's a whole other thing, but, but just the idea is that my choices... And my, my decision to believe in God and trust in Him is fully of my own will. Uh, I, I'm not programmed to do it. I, I'm not a robot. But at the same time, God chose me, okay, while still allowing me within my own will to choose Him. I mean, it's, you know, again, I don't know how that all works together, but I know that I see that in the Scriptures, okay? And so, so we believe it, Okay. So this third point, growth in godliness confirms I'm a child of God. A lot of these points are saying the same things in a different way, right? These verses, he just, you know, he just, he's just nailing it down for us. Growth in godliness confirms I'm a child of God. I, I was, I, by the way, there, there's a, a, message, a, a message I listened to on this passage from a, a, a brother named uh, Rico Tice. Charlie and I, I think, heard him at a conference one time. He's an evangelist from England, and great guy, and I love to hear the accent and everything, and, uh, and he handles the Word of God pretty well. And he was talking about this passage, and he said, and I just want to quote him, he says, I can't be more chosen, but I can't be more certain I'm chosen. That's a good way to look at this passage. I can't be more chosen, but I can be more certain I'm chosen. In other words, in my situation, how, do I, how am I being more certain? Well, by what he just said in the verses, he says, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these things, you will never fall. He's saying if your life is about these things and it's growing in these things, then you've got, you've got from a human standpoint, uh, you've, got, you've got some confirmation. You've got some evidence that you can look to, okay? He's not saying if I try harder at those things, I'll, I'll be saved. He's saying as I grow in those things, it just kind of confirms what's already there, okay? Um, this, uh, I don't know if you heard of the word assurance, assurance of salvation, like you can be sure. Um, this is this kind of thing, you know. Assur- I think our assurance comes more and more as we see our life growing in God, okay? It doesn't change the fact that God's chosen us, doesn't change the fact that what Jesus did was enough. It's not that we're adding into anything. It's just simply saying uh, that our lives, uh, well, it's like, a, it's like a fruit tree. Check the fruit. And, and that's what James was saying in the book of James. It's just saying from a human standpoint, this is how we evaluate our lives. See if we're in the faith. Right? It's a self-examination. And so this is the challenge here for us. But then again, like I wanted to share some verses that mention the whole appeal of that we're, God also issues that, that, that um, uh, call to us to respond, 
Okay? The choose, there's the choosing, then there's the call to respond. 1 Timothy 2.4, um, speaking, speaking of God, it says, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. How does that work out with the choosing? I don't know. I just know it's God's heart. God doesn't want to see people reject him, but they will, and he knows it. It breaks his heart. It's his desire. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. Hey, if it was all it, Yeah, because some people say when they hear you talking about the election and, and all this stuff, and they just go, you know, their brains are, brains are exploding. At the idea... Um, they're just like, well, I'm just, I don't need to do anything. God's got it all figured out. What do I need to preach the gospel for to people? Well, because the vehicle that he's chosen to do it is people. <laughs> and you don't know who's going to respond. You don't. I'm telling you, I can tell you some stories, man. The most hardened people, I'd be like, there's no way they're getting saved. Boom. Bigger they are, the harder they fall. That's literally true in the spiritual kingdom a lot of times. Um, and so, uh, where was I going with that? Oh, yeah, we're ambassadors for Christ. That's what I say. Because I was thinking about how the, well, you know, we make an appeal to people, just as somebody eventually made an appeal to us at some point, if we're believers. They're going to say, hey, this is the gospel. Believe. Trust. Right? That's the appeal. And so he, he goes on to say, he says, God, making his appeal through us, we implore you, Paul says, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He, that's like strong language. He's saying, listen, you need to trust Christ. Put your tr- cr- trust in Christ today. That's what he's saying in this letter as he's saying we're being ambassadors. So, uh, you know, we don't get off saying, okay, God's got it all figured out. He knows who he's tapping, you know. No, no, we're ambassadors. We're taking the message out there because we don't know who those people are, Right? And God's desire is that everyone would come to faith, but we know they won't. Some people will reject. So this whole, this whole section here, this whole beginning of 2 Peter, Peter seems as is simply reminding us of our human responsibility on this side of the equation. Okay? God elects, but I must believe. God preserves me and keeps me to the end, yet I must put to death the deeds in the flesh. Those are think, both things that we see in Scripture. Okay, Here, Peter's telling us, pursue spiritual growth. Pursue godliness in these qualities. If you do, you're confirming what's already there. He's not saying if you don't, you're definitely not saved. I would say if you don't and you don't care you don't have really what some would say is full assurance of faith. There's What's the evidence? Okay, You might be, you might not be. It's not a fun place to be. You shouldn't be happy there to be in that place. That should be a, a place of great concern. Okay, Only God knows truly everybody's heart. Okay, that's true. But why has he told us these external things to also look for for fruit? Because we're supposed to be challenging each other to godliness, right? What's the result of all this? I'm so glad you asked. Well, uh, at the very end of that, in verse 11, he says, um, let me get to that verse here. Verse 11, he says, for in this way, 
Now, what does it mean in this way? Well, in what we're just talking about, in the way of, of growing in these character qualities. In this way, or so, by, so by growing in these character qualities and, and showing some of that fruit, in this way, there will, be a rich, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What are you saying? He's saying, well, if these qualities are yours, you've shown who you truly are, you're therefore going to heaven. I mean, it's, that's why I feel like he's not, saying, he's not talking sinless perfection here. He, he's, he's simply saying, the, the, you know, he's, he's trying to warn some people who are claiming they're believers, some of them leaders will see, that say, hey, I can do whatever I want. Do whatever I live however I want, man. I got the special knowledge. And so he's saying, no, knowledge, true knowledge of Jesus results in transformation, not just in knowledge. I'm going to quote, because I'm not going to claim it as my own, I'm going to quote Rico Tice again, because he said something I think you need to hear. There shouldn't be any Peter Pan Christians. When he first said that, I thought, what are you talking about? Do you not like peanut butter? Oh, you mean peanut butter, you know, Peter Pan. Well, if you look up the, I never saw the play, okay, but the play, the subtitle is, is, I put it down here somewhere. The boy who would not grow up. The boy who would not grow up. That's what Peter Pan was, right? He didn't want to grow up. He didn't want to take responsibility. There should not be a Christian who doesn't want to grow up. That should be more of an oxymoron, is what Peter's telling us. Okay? And so we kind of end the way we began today. It's just a challenge. Uh, But you should be encouraged because God has given you everything you need life and God. He's given you what you need. It's a matter of sometimes we need a kick in the pants. I do. Sometimes I need a big boot, you know, to get off center. And, and that is a kick in the pants to grow spiritually, right? So would you pray with me right now? And let's ask for God's loving kick in the pants if we need it, all right? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you have given us your spirit. You've given us your word. Everything we need for life of godliness, every believer has. And Lord, we just ask you today, Lord, if we've been coasting spiritually, if we've not really been desiring to grow, and and there could be all kinds of reasons, Lord, uh, today, God, we just pray, change our heart. Change our heart to really want to pursue godliness, to pursue growing in steadfastness, in holiness, Uh, in forgiveness, whatever it might be. We need your help, Lord, and thank you that you've supplied us with everything. But also, Lord, we pray, Lord, if we're lacking motivation, I pray that these words today would motivate us. The fact that he's saying, if these qualities are yours and you're growing, then it confirms you're really one of God's children. If not, there's a question mark there. And that should cause us concern, Lord, wherever we are. Give us a heart to seek you. Give us a heart to pursue godliness, knowing that all of our sin, if we know Christ as Savior, all of our sins forgiven, past, present, future. This is not something where we're trying to earn our way to heaven. We're simply trying to show who we are, who you've made us in Christ. God, give us your grace, your mercy, and your power to do this. In Jesus' name, amen.